it is good to trust him, good to be able to lay these things before him. Well, we want to invite you into the book of Proverbs tonight. And so if you have a Bible, you can open up to Proverbs chapter 21. Uh, you can follow along uh, in an online device, or you can use one of the booklets that we provide to you. As most of you are aware, we provide this booklet that has the whole chapters uh, in there. This booklet that we had at the door is, has all of Proverbs 21. Uh, so you'd be able to follow along with us uh, in the text, but also being able to just mark it and, and be able to use this in a way that we're hoping helps in the book of Proverbs, because the book of Proverbs is kind of disjointed. Uh, you move from verse to verse to verse, and it covers subject, so many subjects. And so, again, it's really our aim that this would help pull that together. If you're joining us online, we want to make sure that you also know that you're included. And so you can go to our website at calvaryrosal.com. You could go to today's message and click download uh, to download a PDF of this booklet and, and print it out or use it on, on your device. Uh, we just want to make sure that you know that's available because, again, we're hoping that you would be able to track with it. Now, we're going to use colors up on the screen. We're going to use kind of a, a pattern that I've been following. It's also given to you in the back of your booklet if you're kind of trying to remember it. But in one sense, just so we can focus on what is good, and we'll use green for that in circles, we'll focus on bad. Uh, if it's a, something that tells us it's bad or true, kind of a blue statement. If it's about God, it'll be purple. And then we'll kind of focus on whether it's kind of encircling that or an underline to say, okay, it's a focus or that which is flowing from it. So I think that's going to make sense, but I also want to say, hey, that's my kind of structure. You can use anything you want. That's We provided the booklet, so if you want to write little notes on it, if you want to circle, underline, however it works, but we're hoping you would be able to just follow along in the Proverbs and see what's there and then apply them into your life. So let's take a moment before we even begin uh, and just continue our, our journey through this, and let's ask God for help. I'm going to lead, but I'm hoping you would pray as well, just quietly asking that God would give us that which he has for us tonight from his word. So let's pray for that. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for that which is true and trustworthy. Thank you for that that shines into our lives and guides uh, where it's so needed. I believe that you want to do that tonight, and so I'm asking for that. I'm praying that you would help us to understand uh, the Proverbs that are in front of us, that there would be a comprehension of what you're saying. But then, Lord, I'm asking for more, because I know your word is more. Your word is not just information. Uh, you tell us your word penetrates. It goes deep inside of us. It kind of does work that is spiritual surgery, as it were, an internal transformation. I believe that you want to do that tonight. And I love that you're just so gentle and gracious. And so for most of us, it's probably going to be one thing that lands, maybe one of these Proverbs that is very specifically for us. I believe you're that faithful. I believe you're that gentle. I believe you're that caring. Lord, and so in light of that, I just want to pray that you'd help us to hear. I know this, that if something gets in the way that we don't receive something uh, from you tonight, it's not you. It's not you and your faithfulness. It's not you and, and, and just your power. It's not the power of your word. It would only be on our side of the equation. So, Lord, admitting that and then coming and saying, Lord, therefore, help us to overcome, help us to hear, help us to understand, and then help us to receive what you're speaking to us, and then let it just work inside of us that which you would have for us. Pray that for each of us right now, asking that together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
Well, we're in Proverbs 21. We made it through verse 15 last week, so we're going to pick up our study this evening in verse 16. Yet before we go to verse 16, I wanted just to quickly highlight where we were because in some ways, understanding what we ended on last week will flow into much of what we talk about tonight. In verse 15, it simply tells us it is a joy for the just to do justice. It is this invitation to understand that God's plan for your life, what God is seeking to work in your life, it's good. I think about Jesus when when he was just speaking to the disciples and he said, you know, the thief, he comes to rob and he comes to kill and he comes to destroy. But he says, I have come. I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. I long that in one reality, you would just believe this. You would believe that right now what God's intention for your life is, is life. And it's not just kind of you know, surviving. It's not just a bad thing. He says, I want, to get, I want you to have a life that is overflowing, that is good and life-giving. Or in the words here of verse 15, you would find joy. You would find that doing what God has, walking in the plan that he has for your life, it, it not only is right, it's not only the right thing to do, it's life-giving. Because you need to understand what, what it is. Sin and our world and Satan, they are thieves. And they come in not to bring help. They come in to rob and kill and destroy. Believing that all by itself would do you good this evening. It would do you good just to believe that what God has for you is good. And you could be able to say, you know, it's joy. It is a joy uh, to, to do what God has for us and to be drawn into the life that he has for us. And I long that you would discover that reality. That you would know that God's ways, they are not just right. They are joyful. They are joyful. Well, that's where we ended last week, and so we leave that. We go to verse 16, and he begins to give us a warning. He says, a man who wanders from the way of understanding will rest in the assembly of the dead. So we look at this, and in many ways, this is uh, uh, one of the Proverbs that is a single thought. Just kind of give us a cause and a result, not a comparison between two things. And the first thing he wants us to just watch is this man who begins to wander, who begins to wander from the way of understanding, from the way of truth, begins to wander from that which is right, and he simply lets us know that that's a course that is destructive, that it will lead to, the, to, to death, it will lead to, to that which is altogether ending and, and, and destructive in so many ways. This proverb is an important one because it reminds us of something that's important for you to understand. The most dangerous course to hell is the easy one. The one that is not, you know, radically chosen. Uh, it's one that people just wander. Uh, they, 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 just, they just begin to move off focus. They just begin to leave that which is good. And that idea of wandering is a scary thought. I find myself thinking in the book of Hebrews where it warns us about Christ and, and, and leaving anything that he has for us. He says, therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we've heard, lest we drift away. Sometimes there are people that make radical and horrible decisions to turn into evil where, you know, one day they are going to church and one day they're trying to do the right thing and then all of a sudden they just radically choose something horrible 
and, and you hear, and you're like, I can't believe it. I mean, it, this, is, this is like an about face. This is altogether wrong, and that's a terrible reality. I mean, it's a horrible thing, but most people, that's not how it happens. It just begins to wander. It just begins that, you know, a little bit off course. It just begins where, okay, you know, yeah, you know, so I'm not praying as much as I used to pray. Yeah, I'm not reading my Bible all the time, and, you know, and, but I'm still trying, and it and, and just slowly begins to wander. And it is one of the most dangerous courses. And so what Hebrews is telling us and what this proverb is telling us is don't let that happen to you. I mean, we've got to give earnest heed to Christ to say, I don't want to drift. I don't want to just slowly drift away or just begin wandering off course. I don't want to do this. There is meant to be just a, a way of staying focused and say, I'm staying here. Like I'm staying with Christ. I'm staying with what he has for us. It's a needed warning. Uh, again, some of you understand. You know people that way, or maybe it was you that, you know, for a while, you, you know, you look at your life and think, hey, there was times I was doing well, and then I don't even know what happened. I don't remember making a radical, you know, I'm going to quit following Jesus. I just began to wander. I just began to slowly drift. And then today you're like, man, I wasted years. I wasted long spaces of my life. And I never meant to do that. And you would stand up almost more loudly than I am right now and say, don't drift. Don't wander. Yeah, don't let that kind of just happen. Be one that says, hey, I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. And I'm going to stay focused on the things that I'm supposed to stay focused on. Because if you're not, wandering happens. So he gives us a warning there. Then verse 17 brings us another warning. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. So he who loves pleasure, that's the, the focus, this person that is loving that. Now, one of the interesting things here that you might want to just pay attention to is the word that's used here for pleasure is the same word that we just talked about in verse 15, which is joy. So you might just go back, just look back right up the page there where it says it's a joy for the just to do justice. So it's not that pleasure or joy is a bad thing, but something's wrong here. What is it? Well, let's just look at it again. He who loves pleasure will be a poor man. He says if that's what you love, if that's what you're pursuing, he who loves wine or and oil, kind of these ideas of just the extravagant things in life. He says, if that's what you set your heart on, you will not be rich, you will not have abundance, you'll not have all of that because you've made that your focus. It's an important one to just quickly think through, and one in our culture, because so much of our culture is pleasure-centered and, 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 and about this. I mean, I think about it. We have you know, within our, just kind of the founding doctrines of our country, that we have the ability to, have, you know, pursue life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I want to just give a quick warning. Not everybody who goes down that road goes down this, but there is a danger when you make happiness your pursuit, uh, when you make joy your pursuit. Like, I just, whatever makes me happy. Like, that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, I'm after one thing. I just want to, I want to enjoy life. I want to get, I want to soak everything I can out of it. So often that will become that which becomes destructive. It, it robs you. It steals. Now, it's not that God doesn't want us to have joy. He does. But joy is not found by pursuing joy. Joy is found by pursuing him, wanting to do that which is right. And then we find out what it tells us in verse 15. When I'm doing what God has for me, it's joy. Like, I, I'm, I'm the just are doing just. I find myself thinking, wow, this is, this is, you know, it's not that I set out saying, 
today I'm going to do joy. No, it's like today I'm going to do what's right. I want to please God. I want to walk with him. And then you find Jesus telling you the truth. Hey, I'll give you life and life abundantly. And you find it by doing that. But if you make pleasure your focus, like I just want, I just want to have a good time. Like that's all I'm going to do. That will lead you to a place that will rob you both materially but spiritually. It'll rob you of that which God has for you. And so in many ways, it's one of those places that we want joy, but it's not that which we're pursuing. We're pursuing Christ, and we're pursuing what he has for us, our lives, and the overflow becomes that, and it's a very different thing. Again, important for us to understand, for many in our world make happiness and pleasure and joy the center of it, and that never goes well. Well, flip the page. It's continuing in some themes that, although they are not all the same, they are warnings about things that are happening and just brokenness in our world. And so he gives us a different perspective here in verse 18. It says, The wicked shall be a ransom for the righteous, and the unfaithful for the upright. So the wicked, those who are doing wrong, those who are rejecting God, rejecting all that he has, he says in many ways they're going to be the ransom for the righteous. Like they're, what they're paying is in many ways, you know, providing life that, that, that is for the righteous. And the unfaithful, he says, those who are, you know, walking in that way, they're the ones who will do that for the upright. And this is kind of an interesting proverb, but a little bit in one sense troubling to figure out. What are we saying? I mean, how are we thinking this through? I mean, it, it almost sounds like, hey, you know, the, the wicked, you know, they're, 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 their purpose is to bring joy or at the end of it's going to go that way for the righteous. But it's not really in that sense an abuse or anything like that. It's just a perspective on the way you view the world. Jesus would say it so clearly this way, where he simply said, blessed are the meek, because they're going to be the ones who inherit the world. That those who surrender their life to Christ, it's as if we look and say, everything is ours. I mean, everything. I mean, everything is ours in Christ, that, that we look at the world, and we look at creation, and we look at a new creation, and there's a sense of saying that, and yet we look at a world that is existing in many ways in rebellion, and, and it's all going away, you know, kind of in that sense, paying the cost and moving forward, but in the end, where we're going is life, where we're going is that, and it's just a good perspective to understand that, to look at this and say, okay, yeah, I get that. Because if you don't see it this way, you'll be in the one that, like Psalm 37 and those, you know, speak about where say, you know, hey, we'd be envying the wicked. We'd look and think, well, man, the wicked seem to be getting, you know, everything in this world. And the Bible's like, no, 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 they're, they're losing everything. And, we're, and ultimately, we see the ultimate end of it. And so it's to see life from a very, very different perspective. All right. Verse 19 Better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. So we look at this again, it's in many ways not a, a double proverb, it's a single one, just that there's one thought happening here. And he says it would be so much better to live, you know, in the wilderness, to go out and live in a tent somewhere, to go out and live, you know, all by yourself in some other place than to live with a contentious and angry woman. Now, if you were with us last week, we actually talked about this because he says much the same thing in verse 9. And we talked about it then, so I'm just going to quickly talk about this, enough to get myself in trouble, but enough to hopefully just kind of give it to you in a way that's altogether helpful. You need to understand this. God really has designed men and women differently. I know that we're living in a world that wants to tell us men and women are the same, that there's no you know, real difference between who they are. I just want you to hopefully understand that is not true. That's a lie. 
And, and for ladies, I just want to speak to you. I'm not a lady. I know that I'm not a lady, but I get to speak to you from the authority of scriptures that God has designed you. And so Proverbs will say that for a woman who does well, that she walks in who she is, that, you know, that a, a, a faithful wife has a gift from the, the Lord and, and highly effective and, and reward in, in life and thankful for that when, I, when, when you have that. But the other side of it is that the downside of how God designed woman can go badly. So trying to say it very, very simply, women, you're different. I mean, the way that you're designed. There's a sensitivity inside you that doesn't exist inside men. Um, the women are the last at the tomb. They're the last at the cross. They're the first at the tomb of Jesus. And, and we find this out. And so most women kind of understand this. They have this like, you know, men, they just can get so focused. And yeah, we can. It's partly how God designed us, where we can think through a single thing and, and, and be focused, where women are usually thinking about a dozen things. Like if I could sit down with you right now and say, so what all are you thinking about right now? I'd be like this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And, this. and it's all just swirling around you. And you're aware of so many things. There's an attentiveness that God has given you that can be a blessing in life. Use that well, and you'll be compassionate, and you'll be supportive, and, and you'll recognize things, and you'll get behind things, and you'll be able to see things, and, and it'll be a, a beautiful place of who you are. But if it goes badly, if you allow your sensitivity to become sinful, you will become a nag. You will become one that tears people down, that notices every flaw that everybody has, and you'll spend your days just speaking it. And he says that becomes contentious. That becomes angry. And he says, that's a dangerous place to be. And, and so, again, just very, very simply, but hopefully very, very clearly, ladies, God has made you wow. Be drawn in his design. Be where you'd look at this and say, let that not be me. <laughs> let not that be me that anybody's thinking, yeah, it would be better to live in a tent, you know, in the mountains somewhere than have to live with that, you know, than have to have, kind of endure that consistently. And may God just rescue any there, but so thankful for so many of the godly women there in this fellowship. I recognize your incredible blessing in that in my wife and just all that's there. So glad for all of that and, and longing that God would grow that. All right, well, leaving that, with myself in as much trouble as I could quickly get in and out of. Uh, verse 20. There is desirable treasure and oil in the dwelling of the wise, but a foolish man squanders it. So he gives us a perspective. He says, if you could look at it, there's treasure. There's desirable treasure, even oil. And this has the idea of abundance and, again, supply and, and, and the way that someone's doing that. He says, if you could look at this, and the person who is wise... They, they, they have that. They, they, they have that. They store it up. They have that in a way of, uh, of protecting that in many ways. But there's a contrast. And this is one of the ones that has two different sides to it. So on the good side, we see, you know, this one who is wise, the home of the wise, and the treasures that are there. But then he says, if you could look over at the home of a foolish person, this foolish man, this foolish one walking in it, and they absolutely squander it. It's not a hard proverb in some ways. I think you might already just be kind of there, but in one sense, he's just giving us a contrast into how both the wise and the foolish handle kind of value and, and how they handle values in the midst of things and how that flows, that if we walk in wisdom, that would be a very different way, the way we process life and the way we work it through. I, I found myself just thinking about it, trying to wrap my mind around it, and um, 
One of the helpful tools I like to look at is, is, a, is a, a whole resource put together by the United Bible uh, Societies that is really given for Bible translators, that uh, they kind of try to help people process these things and how to translate it into other languages. And as they were processing this through, they gave some examples of kind of the nuggets that are found there, and they simply said it this way. It says, on one hand, he's saying, you know, be sensible and store up precious treasures and don't waste them. The, the, the wise, they, they're sensible, like they handle life well, they store things up, but the foolish people spend their money as fast as they can get it. It's kind of what he's talking about. He says that the one who is foolish, it's like they don't store up anything. I mean, it's just, it, it, it comes in and it goes out as quick as, they, as it can be there. So let me just very graciously and very gently say, I don't know which side of this you're on. I mean, I just want to make sure it's not condemnation, but it's again worth just saying this way. We live in a world that is developed, um, People who live paycheck to paycheck and, and, and spend everything they have and everything that's coming in, and I just want you to say, understand, the Bible would simply say, that's not wise. I mean, to live in that place where you spend everything that comes in and then that very quickly moves into debt and everything else is there, there would be a very different way of handling what God provides, uh, a wisdom in the way that you'd work that. And it's worth, again, just saying, God, help me to be wise. Help me to be the one that in, 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 in my home, there, there's treasures. There's things that, hey, we save. We, we have savings. We have things. We don't, we don't, you know, spend every single penny we possibly can get on every new, you know, extravagant thing that comes along. No, it's meant to be differently, and he's just calling us to have that kind of wisdom. May we grow in that. May you grow in that. Again, I don't want to be condemnation if you found yourself in that space and, and you're like, man, I've already, you know, I'm way in debt because I, you know, kind of just lived that way. Then God would rescue you out of that. Just want to tell you he can and God's word works that and his wisdom works that. But sometimes it's just helpful just to understand like that's not how he's intended us to live. It becomes destructive and uh, very much at play in what the world is doing and not the way God has you to live. All right. Well, flip the page, leaving that one. Verse 21. He who follows righteousness and mercy finds life, righteousness, and honor. So again, this is one of the ones that doesn't have a comparison. It's a simple statement. There's one who would follow righteousness and mercy. That would make that the pursuit of your life. He says, if you would do that, you will find life, righteousness, and honor. It's a pretty powerful little quick nugget there, and I don't know how it lands with you, but let me do my best to help you pursue it. It says, if you would make your life pursuing something, that you're meant to pursue something, what is it? Well, righteousness and mercy. You will find these held all the way through the scripture, that these two things put side by side as meant to be that which we're seeking to live by. But here's the really wild thing. They're very, very different. They're very, very different. On one hand, wanting to do right, believing in right, upholding right. Like there's right and there's wrong. That's righteousness. There is right and, and then there's wrong and, and it's never meant to be mixed up. There's, you know, black is black and white is white. That's righteousness. But then there's mercy that looks at people and has compassion and, 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 and grace for them and, you know, understands what they're going through. In one sense, the Bible calls us to have both that we're meant to say, okay, I want to hold, to hold righteousness and have mercy. And as we've often talked about when we talk about these things, that's the problem. For most of us, we can do one of those. Not well, <laughs> but we can do one of those. In fact, in this room, you are probably one of these. In other words, there are probably, I don't know, half of you 
that right now you have a propensity towards righteousness. I mean, you, you know who you are. I mean, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but you know who you are. You're the ones like, right is right. Wrong is wrong. That's just the way it is. Like, you do wrong and you suffer. This is the way it works. And so that's just you. I mean, you look at the world and you, can, you just, you, you look at somebody who's, you know, doing foolishly and you're like, you did a dumb thing and you suffered for it. You know, get over. I mean, you just, I mean, you know who, you, I mean, you just, you look at life and you're like, I don't, it, it's really clear, right and wrong. And, and you long for righteousness. That's a good spice. But then there's others of you that you're more merciful. Like you look at people and you just, your heart breaks for them. You're like, man, I, I know it's a mess right now and you made a mess, but man, it's so hard. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry that it's that way and I, I, I feel bad for you. Would you like to sit down and talk, you know? And, and, and we could just talk about this for a little bit and we could be compassionate and, and I'd like to help you. And, and you just view everybody that way. Now, here's the thing. We probably have a natural propensity for either one, but the problem is we tend to only do one. And so, you know, we, we find this biblical picture where God says, I want you to have both. I want you to have righteousness and mercy. And if you can see these things, then you would probably come to a conclusion. I, I think it's a biblical conclusion that you would recognize, Lord, I can't do that. How do I do both? And here's where I want to just quickly give it to you in both an understanding, but also a help. Can I tell you, that is Jesus. That is Jesus. If you could see this, you would understand there's no other place that this is ever found, but it's found in Jesus. It tells us in John chapter 1, just kind of announcing uh, his coming into the world. And he says, the word, which is a reference to Christ, became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Like, he's amazing. He is glorious. He says, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, and he is full of of grace and truth. He's full of grace and truth. It's not just grace. It's not just truth. It's not half and half. It's full, that he can be fully truth and fully grace at the same time, that this is who he is. In fact, it goes on to simply say, and of his fullness, we have all received grace for grace. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So I wish I had more time to unpack this for you, but I just want to tell you, if you've never kind of wrestled through this, like how do I be both truth and gracious, and if you've never come to the place that you can't, and ultimately only Christ can't, that he can fully give us truth and yet give us grace, meeting us in the midst of it, providing both, both of those things because not only is he the example of it, he's the provider of it, and it's in him where we find this. It's in him that is this perfect display. So if I can give this to you in maybe more a practical way. For starters, I ought to say this. If you're here this evening and you don't know Jesus, I just want to tell you, you, de- you need him. This is the only place it's found. Is the only place where truth is truth and grace is grace, where you can, where, where that upholding of holiness and righteousness and truth is found in Him and grace is found. It's the only place in our world. Jesus is the way, He is the truth, He's the life. Nobody gets to God any other way. And so tonight, if you're outside of this, you need Jesus. But if you're in Jesus, you need Jesus so that you would look at this desire of grace and truth and you think, how do I get there? How do I be there? I mean, if you are a truth-based person, how do I hold truth, not let go of that, but still be gracious? If you're more of a merciful and grace person, it's like, how do I hold this, not let go of that, but how do I hold truth better? Can I simply tell you, 
Fix your eyes on Jesus. I mean, you need him. He is the only one. It's out of his fullness that we receive this. It's out of him that we say, God, I need to walk in you. I need to find this in you. I need to be able to be one who can embrace all of life in a way that is found beautiful. It's found beautifully gracious and wonderfully true because he is this perfectly. Like in him, these two things come together and they do it perfectly. It's not found any other way. And so when I tell you this, I'm telling you that in many ways, this proverb is a pre kind of picture here saying, follow Jesus. Like you, you want to follow mercy, righteousness and mercy. I can tell you who it is. It's Jesus. You know, follow him. Fix your eyes on him who is the author and finisher of our life. Say, okay, God, I, I need this because I need both. And embracing him as both finds that. And he says, if you'll do that, it'll be life to you. You'll find it being like, this is life. But it will also be righteousness. It'll be this place where, where good is happening. You're walking in righteousness, but also honor. He says that would just be a place where all of that would flow because that's what he's wanting you to be. He's wanting you to be one that is not, you know, one or the other, not one who is legalistically righteous and never merciful, not one who is merciful but never righteous. He says, I want you to have this, and so you follow Christ, and and, uh, it is a beautiful struggle, but it's found no other space. Again, I don't know if that makes as much sense as I want it to, but I'm telling you, for me, it's a big one because it's like I want that. It's like I want to be true. I want to be merciful. I, I, want, I want to be a man of grace, but I want to be one who is who's true, and it's like navigating that in this world is a great challenge. But I get this, that Jesus is where I need to follow. And so may God draw us to that. May he cause, cause you and I to be one who is following righteousness and mercy, following Christ. All right. Well, let's leave that one and continue. Verse 22 gives us a whole different thought, and so we land there. It says, a wise man scales the city of the mighty and brings down the trusted stronghold. He's upholding that which is wise. He's telling us that which is a good, which is, you know, obviously all the way through the, the book of Proverbs. He says that wise can scale the city of the mighty. And he really just continues what that can do. And he can bring down the trusted stronghold. Not a hard proverb, but in many ways, he's just telling us that wisdom literally in many ways can overcome that which is just physical strength that there's a superiority to wisdom, that, you know, being wise, you can overcome, you know, just obstacles, you can overcome, you know, that which is mighty, you can enter into strongholds, and for you Bible students, you could just kind of wonder, you could put in their Joab, and you can just put in their Joab for a moment, because that's exactly what happened when David was trying to take the city of Jerusalem. He's like, is there anybody who can do it? Is there somebody who can get into the city and take the city down, you know, and open up the gates for us? And Joab does. He's like, yeah, we can go. We'll go up the water slot, you know, spout. He enters into the city. I think I find myself thinking in the midst of this, if, if Solomon wasn't thinking about it, it's like, hey, this is what it is. When you handle something wisdom, you can overcome incredible difficulties. And so it's just an invitation, again, that we would walk in wisdom, that we'd long for what the book of the Proverbs is holding out for us, that we would be those who walk in that. All right. Verse 23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Boy, over and over it said in the scriptures, just great. Hey, don't say everything you think. Don't just guard yourself so that not everything you're thinking comes out of your mouth. You think about what you say before you say it. He says, that'll stop a lot of problems happening before it ever happens. Now, this is repeated over and over in the book of Proverbs. You just need to make sure you hear it. That there is no, um, 
great glory to saying everything that you think. Uh, that's a, our world will tell you that. Our world will tell you, hey, you know, that's integrity or that's, you know, you know what you see is what you get. Just say, speak everything you think. And it's like, no, you don't want to do that. Just you think about it, it's like, mm, nope, that's not good. That, that's not helpful. That's not holy. That's not beautiful. That's not righteous. You know, that I'm going to just guard my tongue and, and, and work in that. And yet it's a big struggle. James will tell us much about it in James 3 for those who want to pursue that, telling us how much we need to seek to control our tongues. All right. Verse 24. Turn the page. A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. So the focus is this person. Now, it's, an, it's a difficult actual uh, Hebrew phrase, even the way it's unpacked. And so different Bible versions will give it differently. You can notice here in the New King James uh, that one of the things we often point out to you is that when it uses italics in the New King James, it's letting you know that that's not in the original text. And so if you were to read this in the original Hebrew, it would just be a proud, haughty scoffer, his name. It's proud, you know, just haughty, scoffers his name. And so different translations will do it, handle it differently. Some would say, hey, there's three different things here. Or some of them say it's really focused on the first. Like if you're proud, you'll be haughty and a scoffer. Uh, but others kind of say, hey, that really the heartbeat behind being this person is a scoffer. It's arrogance. It's, it's this pride. It's this haughtiness, this place that thinks much of yourself and looks down on everybody else. One way or another, that's what he's picturing. I mean, however you kind of wrap your mind around it, you're looking at somebody who is arrogant, prideful, you know, looks down on other people, thinks a whole bunch of themselves, and he says, that's, the, that's this person who is this scoffer. That's this person who is this arrogant person, and simply what he's telling us is he acts with arrogant pride. Like, who he is is what he does. That is meant to be no big surprise, that if you watch this happening in many ways, that, that, that you watch somebody who's acting arrogantly, walking in this arrogant pride. It's like, that's because it's the heart. I know where it is. It's proud, haughty, it's a scoffer. And that's the name of that. That's what causes that. And it's just this recognition that um, out of the heart, you know, the mouth speaks. Out of what you are is what's flowing. And kind of just understanding that this is the source of that arrogant pride, that it's this, this prideful, arrogant heart that God finds incredibly offensive. All right. Well, let's keep going. Verse 25. The desire of the lazy man kills him, for his hands refuse to do labor. So the focus here is on that laziness that Proverbs speaks a lot about. He says, so this desire of the person who's lazy, it kills him. It's a little bit of an interesting proverb. It could go a couple of different ways. It could be saying that the desire that, you know, the lazy man has that is a desire for laziness, like he just wants to be lazy. It's like, that's destroying your life. That's killing you. Or it's going to say that, you know, the idea is if you're lazy, you're going to starve to death. You know, like, you know, like if you live that, like, it's not going to go well with you. Either way, it's kind of focusing on the bad part of laziness for, he says, the reason, because he won't work. For his hands refuse to do labor, which God finds no um, honor to. That God would simply highlight to us that laziness is not anything uh, to be pursued or seen as a virtue, which... I just hate to say it, we need to hear it because our culture would say something altogether different. Well, hold that for a second and let's just go to the next verse because in many ways it's probably connected. In verse 26, it says, He covers greedily all day long, but the righteous gives and does not spare. 
draw your attention to just that word he for a moment and let you know there's really no other focus in that verse. It doesn't say he, the wicked or the lazy. And so most Hebrew commentators believe that it's still referring to the lazy man. So you have this lazy person who's just lazy. It just, you know, it is, his desires there, refusing to do work. And it says, here's this person who is that, and he wants things all day long. He just doesn't do anything about it. He covets, he desires things, but he is, that sense again, lazy. His hands refuse to do labor. And so it's just highlighting this, this bad space of laziness and all that it is, and then gives it a contrast. On the other side of the, of the occasion, the righteous. Instead of being lazy, the righteous, the one who's going to do the right thing, he says he gives and does not spare. It's a pretty big contrast, and you could spend more time on it than we have space to give right now, but if you're looking at it, so here's this lazy person he wants, he doesn't even have. But the person who's righteous, not only does he have, he's able to give. Not only is, is, is he, you know, not, you know, in this place of, of being, you know, killing himself, refusing to do labor, but there's a space that there's overflow out of his life, that true righteousness is not just, you know, in it for myself, but it becomes one who's able to give. And it's a pretty cool um, opposite that we'd say, okay, I don't want to be lazy. I want to be this. I want to be the person who not only is able to take care, but I'd like to be a blessing. I'd like to be a blessing to other people. Uh, I don't want to be someone who's a leech. I don't want to be that person who's just taking, taking, taking uh, in our society because it's destructive and it goes badly. All right, verse 27, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with wicked intent? So the sacrifice, the idea is somebody who's wicked, and yet they're still trying to be religious. We've actually talked about this earlier in the chapter. It was back in verse 3, I think it was, where we kind of talked about this place that God finds no honor in that for somebody who wants to live wrongly and then kind of make up for it by doing something religious. God says, I hate that. It's an abomination to him. That's the idea there. It's a, and so I put the purple color there because it's a picture of, of God finding it to be horrible. That he'd look upon somebody that would say, you know, I'm going to come to church to kind of weigh the scales. You know, I'm a bad person all week long. And then I come to church to kind of, you know, see if God would, you know, overdo that. And he says, I, God says, I, that's not the way this works. You know, it's not meant to be that. You know, that what we do here is meant to be an overflow of our life. But then he gives us a worse option. Though that is bad, how much more? Like so much worse when someone does it not only, you know, the wicked, you know, acting righteous, coming to church, but doing it for a wicked intent. Doing it to get something out of it that has nothing to do with righteous. I hate to say it. It just happens. Uh, there are people that can come to church and do this uh, to you know, further their business prospects, you know, to come to church and make connections uh, so that their, their business would go ahead even more horribly, but it happens. It happens. It happens in our church. May God rescue it from it. You know, there's people that can come to church and they're here to get a date, you know, to kind of, hey, you know, whatever, I'm, I'm here to kind of impress somebody. And, and so not only are they not living right before that, but they didn't even come to, you know, they came to kind of, you know, meet somebody or pursue somebody. And so we, we have it happen where we'll have, you know, uh, some of our young ladies, people like start coming to church. And then once they kind of like tell them no, it's like, then they don't, not interested in church any longer. It's like, huh, well, I guess I know why you were here, you know, and I know what you're actually after. And yet God says, I hate that. 
That, that is not the way this is supposed to be. This isn't something where you can live however you want and then come here. Uh, it's not the way it's supposed to be. God says it's an abomination. So much more. May God rescue us from that. May God rescue us from, you know, using God's people for our own interests, using God's people for pyramid schemes or pursuing, you know, financial gain or pursuing really, this, that's not what this is. And God hates that. May he rescue us from it. All right, well, you can turn the page. Verse 28. A false witness shall perish, but the man who hears him will speak endlessly. So a false witness, one who is a liar, but one very specifically, almost in a court case kind of thing, who is representing wrong or speaking wrong. He says, that's going to go badly for you. That's going to go badly for you. You're going to perish. But, he says, the opposite of that here, or the, you know, kind of comparing it, says the man who hears him will speak endlessly. Okay. This is actually one of those proverbs that Bible students are split on, that they don't all agree even what this is saying. We know this, a false witness, the liar, the one who would, you know, lie in a courtroom to advance a case or do any of that, says that that's destructive, and, and that's a course that's going to take you to perish. But the other side of it is a little bit of a debate. You know, he says, in one sense, the man who hears, he says, well, he'll speak endlessly. Some would say that in many ways it's the person who listens to a liar perpetuates that lie. It might even almost be that idea of, you know, a lie can make its way around the world, you know, uh, you know, while truth is still, you know, you know lacing up its boots. It's just, it just perpetuates as people share that which is gone. That's a possibility. It's a possibility of just the danger of that. But if we were to kind of press in, we'd have to say, well, it seems differently because on one hand, a false witness shall perish, the word perish must in one sense be the contrast which, you know, that the man who hears will speak endlessly, that, it, that it's an endless thing, that it's not perishing, that, um, that it, you know, you're looking at something that's going away to something that's never going away, uh, that's going to flow out of that. And if that's what this is, well, then he calls us to be the man who hears. And if that's what's being encouraged here, uh, we might simply say, be a good listener be someone who hears and, and doesn't just, you know, listen to accusations or, you know, hears bits and pieces, but be one who would say, I want to hear it and, and speak it, and there's something that's in the midst of that. So either way, the, the, the bad part of it is to be the false witness and be moved away from it and certainly seeing it as a bad thing. So leaving that is still a little bit of a question, but hopefully somewhat helpful. All right, verse 29, a wicked man hardens his face but as for the upright, he establishes his way. So a wicked man, the one who's going to do the wrong thing, the one who is living a rebellious lifestyle, he says he hardens his face. It's a pretty interesting picture. I want you to try to imagine it with me for a moment. The idea of hardening his face uh, would literally be put on a bold face, um, or we might even say he bluffs their way. So here's this person who's doing wickedness, and so instead of turning from their wickedness, they just put on a brave front. Everything's good. I'm good. You know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm going to make it fine. But they're doing wrong, and wickedness is what wickedness is. It's destructive. It's, it's harsh. It's working all that that is. He says, but on the other side of it, the upright, the opposite of the wickedness, he establishes his way. Um, it's not hypocrisy. It's not phony. 
It's not this, you know, brave face that's just not even uh, really there. It's a sense of both integrity and, and walking in it, and I just give that to you as an invitation. It's an invitation to say, okay, don't just pretend. Uh, don't just be a hypocrite. Don't just be like, hey, you know, I'm just, everything looks good, but it's like, I want to actually be good. I want to actually have my, my path established. I want to walk in the things that are all together there. That's the course of the upright. All right. Well, two more, and we'll end for the evening in these last two Proverbs, and they kind of go together. So notice with me as it gives us there in verse 30. It says, There is no wisdom or understanding or counsel against the Lord. There's nothing, he says. If it, if it declares itself to be wisdom, if it declares itself to be understanding life, if it's, you know, a lot of people agree, it's a lot of counsel, but it's against the Lord, he says it's not, it doesn't exist. It's a lie. That if there's anything that comes against God, against His truth, or against His ways, whether it pretends to be wisdom, whether it pretends to be understanding, whether, again, a lot of people say it, it says it, it will go away. Everything that is stood against God uh, is, is altogether going to fail because it's all a lie. It's all a lie. That's just helpful. It's just helpful to kind of gaze in that in our world right now and say if it, if it comes against God, if it's a rejection of Him, it's, it's not going to stand. It, it, it's altogether a wicked and evil and wrong thing. Verse 31 adds to it. It says, the horse is prepared for the day of battle, but deliverance is from the Lord. And so you get this picture of somebody being prepared, doing everything they can to be prepared, whether it be, again, for life or, again, the idea of, of for battle. So you have you know, all the supplies, you have all the preparation, you have all the experience, you have all the training that goes into that. But he says, here's what you need to understand. Deliverance, really being victorious, really walking in that, that's God's. That, that is ultimately from him that he's the one that is ruling and reigning. And it's not, you know, in the, the strength of man that we should trust. It's in the strength of God. It's as if these two kind of give us an understanding. Verse 30, some have said it this way, is telling us, hey, don't fight against the Lord. <laughs> don't, don't, if you're taking anything that's resisting God, you're on the losing side of that argument. Don't fight against the Lord. Verse 31 would come and say, don't do any fight without the Lord. You know, don't, don't, don't go into anything trusting in your own might or your own strength because really it's him that we need. It's his power. It's his work. And he again just invites us to that way of life. And I think about that. And again, it's just a good kind of lens with which to view the world. It's a good kind of lens of which to, to, to view our life because I'll just tell you it's true. If you could look out at the world and say, okay, you know, Everything that stands against God, it's going to go away. And really, you know, it's not, it's, it, people trust in themselves and everything that God is not behind, that God is not empowering, that it's also going away. And so it would invite us to a very different way of life of saying, okay, you know, I don't, I don't want to be on the wrong side of this. I want to be the one that says, okay, God, I want to walk in your wisdom and I want to trust in your power, that I want to live life in a way that that's how we're doing this, that that's how we're walking in this, and that God would indeed bring us there. Now, maybe you're here. I mean, maybe that's exactly what's happening in your world right now. Maybe you're kind of walking in this place, and that's partly why you're here. You're saying, okay, God, I believe you, and I want you in all that this is. But if there's any correction in that right now, where right now, you know, you're saying, well, you know, I know God says this, but everybody else seems to say this. You know, I know God says this, but, you know, it's really popular in our world to say this. 
I just want to tell you, it would do you well to say that's all going to go away. That's all lies. Anything that comes against God is not true. Give me this. Give me Jesus. Give me what's right. And if there's any space right now that in the way that you're handling life, that you're trying to do it without him, it will be your undoing. It will be the place without Jesus we can do nothing. And so he invites us into that place of saying, God, I want to do a life that is wise and walking in your ways. All right, well, that's a good space for us to end up this evening. So you can close your books, your notebooks. And again, our hope is that in the midst of this, God has spoken, that God has drawn you into what he has for you, that there would be a space even right now this evening that uh, this would be landing and working in your life and the things that he would have in store for you. So with that as just our aim, let me close us in prayer, and then we'll just take a couple songs and worship God this evening. Father, we just thank you for who you are, and we thank you tonight that you are a God who is good. I recognize this is true, Lord, as we tried to end this evening and saying anything that disagrees with you goes away. And anything that you're not behind goes away. Lord, I know where I want to be. I want to be with you. I want to do life with you. I want to walk in your ways. God, I pray for us right now that you'd meet us in that. You would meet us in power. You'd meet us in strength. You'd draw us into a life of righteousness. And I think about where we began this evening. That you said that would be joy to us. That Jesus, you came to give us life and life abundantly. Would you draw us into that life? Would you draw us into you? Because it's only found in you. It's not found in any other space. There's no other place where mercy and righteousness can come together but in you. Draw us to Christ. Draw us to our life in you. I ask for that right now and ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.